listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, everyone. So this is an interesting one, isn't it? About um, the rich man and Lazarus, as I've typically heard it titled. Um, I think we've decided to title this sermon, Lazarus and the Other Guy. (laughs) Because, partially, uh, it is interesting that we know the name of the poor man in the story, and we don't know the name of the rich man. Now, I'm sure you've all heard this parable before, and I've often heard, maybe like you as well, this parable told as though it were about the afterlife. Like, this is what happens when you die. And there's this poor man, again, who, uh, or excuse me, Lazarus, we do know his name, and he's with Abraham, and then there's this rich man whose name we don't know, and um, how he kind of treats Lazarus is, is pretty uh, interesting. So even, even in the story, he never treats him as an equal. Um, he certainly doesn't treat him as a superior. So um, when the rich man does speak, um, he speaks to Abraham, who he seems to be, you know, on par with. And then he asks Abraham to have Lazarus do something for him. So he's kind of still treating Lazarus as though he were a servant or a slave or an employee, certainly someone that he relates down to. He's not relating over to him, and he's certainly not relating up to him, even though he's kind of in hell, I guess, right? And Lazarus is is there with Abraham in paradise. Now, um, even after Abraham kind of tells him, that's not how this works. Like, that's not the economy of, of where, we, or where we are. Um, he still kind of makes the appeal. Like, no, no, no. If he can't come help me, give me a drink, then send him back as a messenger to my brothers. Like, what? Like, you're still not learning the lesson. And the idea that somehow this revelation of someone who is raised from the dead, will do something that Moses and the prophets can't do, which is what Abraham says. Um, they, they have Moses and the prophets. They'll learn from that. Just a couple of side notes. I think that's fascinating that the New Testament seems to treat the Old Testament as like a, a revelation that is complete, like there's not something you need to kind of add to the story. One of my favorite theologians um, used to say, everything you need to know about God, you can find in the Old Testament. He was a kind of a famous uh, pastor from the mid-20th century. And in fact, when he wrote about theology and he used the term scripture, he would often use that to refer to what we call the Old Testament. And when he wanted to talk about the New Testament, he called it the apostolic witness. So a lot of that resonates with me, that, um, that what we need to know is there, and it's just a matter of not whether we'll listen to it. And the fact that Abraham says, even if someone comes back from the dead, they won't listen. You have to remember that this, by the time Luke is writing about this parable, this is after the resurrection of Jesus. This is after someone has come back from the dead and after um, no one has paid attention. Now, again, this is a parable. This is a fictional story. 
Um, this is not something that kind of actually happened. That's how this, this is presented to us. It's like Jesus is telling a parable, and he tells the parable of a, of a rich man and Lazarus, or as we're saying today, uh, Lazarus and the other guy. Now, in Luke, we don't get the name Lazarus other than in this parable. But in the Gospel of John, we do get the name Lazarus. And in that gospel, he is a man who is raised from the dead, which again, now reading it as Christians, kind of canonically, we have a historical man named Lazarus who does come back from the dead, and yet still, nevertheless, people don't listen, right? Um, it's, that, it's like the Gospel of John kind of tells us an actual story that kind of proves the point of the parable here, that even if someone comes back from the dead, they won't listen. But Here's the real question. What if we've missed the point of the parable altogether? What if the parable is not intended to teach us about what happens after life, but rather it's something, it's trying to teach us about how we live this life now? And I think paying attention to who is named and who isn't named and how the unnamed wealthy person never quite gets it with the, um, with the actually, in this case, named a poor person, kind of raises a very important question, not about the economy of the next life, but the economy of this life. And by economy, I don't just mean finances here. I mean, I mean our, our rules, our body politic, right? How we treat one another, how we live in the world. So I want to show you some pictures of some people, and um, we'll see if you can recognize who they are. So here, here's, here's our first one. Can anybody tell me this person's name? Elon Musk. And Elon Musk is kind of famous for a few things. Uh, I think he started PayPal, is that right? And then he sold PayPal, and he started a Tesla. And then he still owns Tesla, and he started SpaceX. So now the U.S. government hires his company to send rockets into outer space. In fact, I think he sent a Tesla into outer space, amongst the things that he's done. He's building some kind of big tunnel, who knows where, that goes really fast. It was really in the news recently. He, he went to buy Twitter, but apparently somebody blocked him. Not because he didn't have enough money. I guess they just thought he owned enough stuff. But he's accumulated so much wealth that he's almost twice as wealthy as the next richest person on the planet. And his, his name is kind of everywhere in the news. He's, he is a, a, he's famous, and mostly he's famous for being rich or also for kind of building stuff, like electric cars that can drive themselves. All right. Here's another person. Recognize this guy? Pardon? Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos, right. He's the owner of Amazon, right? So recently, I mean, how many of you have bought something on Amazon? Show of hands. Right? So I can... I, Nice to have you all here today, customers of Jeff Bezos. <laughs> yeah, who knew that that was so much a part of your identity, so much a part of all of our identities, even if we don't like it, right? Like we're all Jeff's customers. In fact, recently he took a little vacation into outer space. He built a rocket as well, and he rode with it with his brother and a couple other people, and they went into outer space, and he got back, and he said, I'd just like to thank anybody who's ever bought anything on Amazon for this great vacation you guys sent me on, right? Wonderful, Jeff, wonderful. You really, you're doing great things with your money, brother. All right, here's somebody else. 
Yeah, I know you know him for his great philanthropy. Who's this guy? Yeah, Bill Gates, right? The founder of Microsoft, right? So as someone who has a preference to Apple products, this is, I've often thought of this person as the Antichrist, um, but that's okay. I know that's, that's an exaggeration. It's not true. But about, but about uh, no, joking aside, I don't know if it was 15 or 20 years ago, their new operating system was called Windows XP. And as all of you know, in early Christian iconography, the X, the Chi, and the P, the Rho, were early signs for Christ. And when he started calling his software Christ, I thought, oh, he's, he's, I told you, he's the, he's the enemy. <laughs> but I joke, I joke with you, right? But yeah, he's, he's kind of famous, and he's, he's famous for making Microsoft, and he's famous, famous for being rich. Here's somebody else. How about this guy? Oh, oh my goodness, there's like groans from the crowd. Not him again. His name is Mark Zuckerberg. And I don't know if it was 20, 25 years ago, he was a student at Harvard and he was trying to find some kind of computer platform where the, where the students at his college where he went could kind of talk to each other, kind of early social media, right? It's called Facebook. Um, I'm just curious now, a little straw poll, how many of you have a Facebook account? Hmm, interesting, right? All right, so we are customers of Jeff Bezos and apparently also Mark Zuckerberg. All right, one more person here. Do you know, do you know who this is? Kim Kardashian, yes. And she's famous um, for being famous, I think. I think she's famous for being famous. That's how she got famous. Um, I know uh, her, uh, her dad was um, an attorney in the O.J. Simpson trial. Um, her stepfather was, was uh, I, when I was growing up, I knew him as Bruce Jenner. He was on the Wheaties box. Um, but yeah, she's, she's kind of famous um, for, I don't know, being pretty or something. Um, yeah, so... There's famous people. And that's how our life goes. We know the rich, and we know the famous, and we know them by name, and we know them by sight. But even in our own lives, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't know the names of the poor people that we live near, faces that we see on a fairly regular basis, um, standing on the street corner, right? Or who live in parts of town that we often avoid. I've got some other pictures for you here. Here's, a, here's a, a picture. I'm not exactly sure who this lady is. But she looks as though um, like she's had some hard times in her life. I don't look at her and think, I wonder if she's sending an electric car into outer space. I don't look at her and I, and I don't think, I wonder if you're all her customers. Here's another. This is, this is a quasi-famous picture, right, from, from the Great Depression. And here's another. Here's a, a person who's experiencing homelessness, it looks like. Don't know his story. Don't know his name. Here's another. It looks as though uh, this are folks who are experiencing some kind of immigration. Right, some or migration, right, from one location 
to another. And then lastly, this is, this is a very iconic picture. Um, this picture was taken by uh, Dorothea Lange. Um, she was in California. She was working for the government, the Resettlement Association. I, th I think that was the name of it. It was um, part of the New Deal. During the Great Depression, the U.S. government were helping people kind of move out of areas that have been really hit hard by the Depression into new areas to help them get kind of homes and jobs. And they had hired some photographers to kind of document this. And Dorothea Lang was one of them. And this is, this is kind of in California, just north of Los Angeles. And she was driving past it, as the story goes, and she caught a glimpse of this farm that had been the crop on the farm had been just devastated. So the workers on the farm and Frances Owen Thompson, that's this lady's name, Frances Owen Thompson, she was going to work the farm, but the crop was destroyed. And so there was nothing for her to, there was no place for her to work. And so the photographer had made it another 20 miles up the street, and she just like, no, 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 I think I need to go back. And she goes back, and she meets this lady, and she finds out her story, and she had just sold the tires off of her car in order to buy food for her children. And you see three of them here in this picture, two on the side by side, and she's got another on her lap. And um, it was reported that the situation of this particular farm did get reported, and food was delivered so that they did get something to eat, and these people were kind of relocated so they could have something. But, but Francis, in this picture, is 32 years old. And it kind of captures, I think it really does capture kind of that, the, the collective experience of, of the United States during the 1930s and what, what, that, what that kind of struggle was like. And so I want us to kind of, kind of come back now to this parable of, it's not the parable of Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates or Mark Zuckerberg or Kim Kardashian and somebody that they met, right? It's the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, right? This is the parable of Francis Owen Thompson, right? It's the parable of the poor person and it, it flips the way we typically do things in our world on its head. And it says that the people who have been the outcasts, the people who have suffered, the people who have struggled, are the ones that um, are going to be cared for. And it kind of raises, raises this question about how we live. And I think we should all pause and realize that the economy of the gospel, the way the gospel works, is, is counterintuitive to the way our society works. That we can't just talk in abstraction about folks in need. Like, we need to know their names. Right? You, you know, this is not a beauty pageant. Like, what would you like? I, well, I'd like world peace. Well, that's lovely. You know? Let's just give the world a hug. Right? That's the problem. You can't hug the world. But you can hug somebody that's standing in front of you. Right? You can't feed the world, but you can feed somebody who's standing in front of you. 
You can't know the world's name, but you can know the name of somebody who is standing in front of you. And I think that's what the parable, at least a big part of what the parable is intended to teach us. And I think it's, it's held in both the fact that we know the poor person's name and not the rich person, and it's held in fact by the way in which the rich person doesn't in any way ever repent. Right? It's not as though he's like, oh, I get it, I'm so sorry, forgive me. But he continues to kind of treat the other person as a commodity, not as a thing, right? as an it, not, not as a you, not as a subject, not as, not as someone. But watch this. I think if we sit with this parable long enough, it's going to turn on us again. And eventually, as the hearers of this parable, we get asked the question, who would we give water to? Like, like whether or not we identify with the unnamed rich person here and we think, oh, here's a lesson for me. I need to care more and I need to not just care with my um, resources. I need to care with myself. Right. I need to be personally invested. I think if we learn that lesson, it's a good one to learn. But if I think if we sit with it long enough, it's going to ask us another question. Even if we were to identify with the with Lazarus here, even if we identified with the the disadvantaged person in the story, the question still comes. Well, would I? Would I get someone a drink of water? Like. If if I saw. Elon Musk on the side of the road and his Tesla had broken down, uh, would I think, ha he deserves it. Look at that guy. What a joker. Or would I reach out to help? Like, who am I willing to help? And since when do I put myself in a position of judge to say what, what I might do? Like, I, I think... These parables, what, one of the things that I love about them is that they can be read and reread and reread and interpreted and reinterpreted. And if we just continue to sit with it, kind of rest with it, um, we might even say meditate on it or contemplate it, it can continue to ask us new questions, kind of again and again and again. It's the, the whole point of this series, Look Who's Talking, is that the parables are not simply object lessons, taking complex things and making them easy to understand. They're actually like riddles that make us lean in and question and, and, and think. Like when Jesus was asked, why do you speak in parables? He said, so I can conceal what I want to conceal and I can reveal what I want to reveal. That's what Jesus said. And so we need to ask, what is Jesus trying to reveal? And maybe sometimes, what is he trying to conceal? And can I see that too? Can I, can I see that part that's concealed, Jesus? I mean, he could tell us no, right? Or he might say, ah, oh, yeah, you know what? I was waiting for you to ask. That's exactly, that's exactly what I wanted you to do. Yeah, who, who should you offer water to? Well, maybe we should offer it to everyone. Who, who should you advocate for? Well, maybe we should kind of advocate for everyone. Now, obviously, I think the primary lesson is to, to those in need, we, we turn first. 
because they're a need. I mean, that's exactly like, like Frances Owen Thompson and her children that she was caring for. Yeah? And how does this all work out in the end? Well, you know, Scripture is not altogether clear. Um, in fact, it says very little about what happens after death. As one writer says, it doesn't talk much about life after death, but it does talk about life after life after death. <laughs> I love that phrase. It doesn't talk much about life after death, but it does talk about life after life after death. What they meant is, not, it doesn't say so much what happens to us that when we die, but it says a lot that happens to us when we're resurrected. And it's resurrection that the New Testament focuses on. That there is a new life and that it is good. And that the things that are wrong are being dealt with and being made right. And that's our hope. But our hope in that is that when they are made right, they're not just made right for us, right? But they're made right for everyone. And that uh, the things that are wrong are judged and dealt with. And that includes the things that we do wrong, things that we participate in. But also that even those things somehow God can touch and heal, right? That God's, God's response to sin is judgment, but it's a restorative judgment. Because we know God's other primary response to sin is forgiveness. And we, to, for that, we can be eternally grateful. That, that that's how things do end. But in, in, instead of kind of focusing all of our attention on what might be in some future time, Let's keep our attention on what we have in front of us. I think the parable does invite us to do that. And in front of us, we have <laughs> Lazarus and the other guy. Um, we have a way of being in the world that, um, as I said, it's a bit, it's a bit kind of counterintuitive. It, it cuts kind of across the culture. Right. I don't want to call it anti-culture, um, but maybe we can call it uh, alternative to the culture. Um, it is it is life giving. Um, it might be early to say this. We have um, next week a, a sermon that will end this series. Uh, we're titling it "Look Who's Not Talking." <laughs> That's a fun way to end. But then our next series is called "The Common Good." And, and, and it really does kind of look at what we might call um, culture care. Um, we've, we all know about the culture wars that we're in that have heated up of late. Um, but I don't think that's something that we need to engage in. Um, we're not here to be against the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We're here to care for it and care for it in such a way that we might pass it on to another generation, as the old preachers used to say, if the Lord tarries. But for now, we'll focus on what's in front of us and we'll, we'll ask the Lord to help us be faithful. Give us the courage to do what's right. Fill us with joy as we do it so we might have strength for that. And fill us with hope that the work that the Lord is doing won't be in vain, but that we'll 
bring about something new and that we too might be a part of it. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.